0: blog
1: talk radio hello and welcome to know it all the ABCs of education listen to us live every tuesday at 10 a.m or anytime from the comfort of your home or computer at blogtalkradio.com backslash know it all today's show is a featured show on the blog talk radio website so be sure to follow us at blogtalkradio.com at Know-It-All, we have candid conversations about the education issues that impact your community and the real-life solutions to education issues that you face every single day. We aim to make you a know-it-all about education law, policy, and practice as it affects you. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I'm a civil rights attorney with expertise in the laws that require equity in public education. You can keep up with me at allisonbrownconsulting.com. My guest host is the lovely Alexis J. Smith of Entitled to Educate. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning, Alison. How are
2: you?
1: I'm well, thank you. She is a community engagement and parent empowerment specialist. Check her out at entitledtoeducate.com. So today we are debunking myths. You've heard them before. I know I'm guilty of repeating them. The number of black women to black men on a college campus is ten or fifteen to one. Black men are in a state of crisis today. There are more black men in prison than in college today. Well, my guests today say that is not true. These things are not true, and they have the numbers to back them up. Dr. Ivory Tolson is an associate professor of education at Howard University and a board member for the National Council on Educating Black Children. Anna Daniels is the executive director of the National Council on Educating Black Children. Good morning to you both. Thank you for joining us.
3: Good morning. It's great to be here.
1: Hello, Diana, I wonder if you would start by introducing the National Council on Educating Black Children to the audience. What is your mission and how do you achieve it?
0: Sure. The the National Council on Educating Black Children is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to reinstate academic rigor and relevant teaching, improve the assessment of such uh, instruction, and prepare the African-American learner for an effective uh, participation in a competitive global uh, uh, world, and how do we uh, achieve that? We go back to our main flagship document, which is called our Blueprint for Action, which was founded in 1980. Since and has been revised six times, and is available in over seven different uh, languages. The Blueprint. Uh, was founded and galvanized by our founder, the uh, Honorable Augustus F. Hawkins, who stated that black children are the proxy for what ails American education in general. And so as we fashion solutions which help black children, we fashion solutions which help all children. Based upon that statement, we put together a blueprint for action for every stakeholder group that impacts the education of black children, principals, administrators, teachers, students, uh, service uh, providers, policymakers, higher education, and the church. Uh, based upon that blueprint for action, there are uh, action items and tools and tasks for each of those stakeholder groups to uh uh, engage in to help to uh, improve the education of Black children. All of that, we have an, a national convention every year. This is our 27th year, and this year we'll be in uh, Chicago, Illinois, April 25th to the 27th. And that convention is open; is online for anyone who wants to come and take part. Uh, at ncebc.org. You can come and uh, find out more about what it is, what's going to go on. We also have programs that we operate out of this office. And these programs not only uh, include coming to our conferences, but they're programs based on the needs of black males. Uh, A few years ago, we pulled together statewide conferences, And in 27 states, we were able to build Black Male Action Plans. And these Black Male Action Plans is our driving force behind most of our work. At every every conference and annual convention, we gather our state-level people to assess the climate of the uh, educational opportunities for black males. And we map out Black Male Action Plans to address those needs Within each state. Uh, the Blackmail Action Plans, we also call them building a coalition of the willing. And building these coalitions of the willing is taking all the stakeholder groups, bringing them together, and having them to build a plan that each one can buy into and that each one can go out and begin to actually do to uh, uh, improve the education of black children in their city or in their state. We also have what is known as our mission-ready after-school programs, which focus on reading and up on math. And I can talk about that later. I don't want to take up all your time talking about what we actually do here in the office.
1: Well, I, I would imagine that being part of the Coalition of the Willing would require true understanding of the, popu- the population being served and so I wonder if you would talk about some of these myths that we see about black children um, is it not true that there are more black women on campus than black men on campuses than black men that there are more black men in prison than in college today
0: well I think that I'm going to re-handle that part of this um, uh, talk but I, I do want to kind of point back to what you started at at the very start and Dr. King once mentioned something that I I need to just say is that cowards ask the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it uh, politics? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is either safe, nor politics, nor popular, but must take it because it is right. And I think that's what the National Council has done. We we came out of a philosophy that uh, we believe in the uh, seven principles of Kwanzaa, and especially those first three, that talk about building a strong community around unity, talk about uh, Kuchikangalia, where we need to define for ourselves and name ourselves and create for ourselves and speak for ourselves, and Eugenia, around collective work and responsibility. Collectively, as a whole community, we need to come together around the questions that you have just raised, Allison, around these myths, and we must... Final way to debunk these myths, which I believe Ivory has done a, a great job with, uh, making standing up for what is right, whether it is um, safe, whether it is politics, whether it is popular, are some things that we as a people need to rethink and reevaluate. Uh, And our blueprint certainly helps us to move in that direction along with our conferences, our programs, and the work of our researchers that are on our our board.
1: And, Ivory, you have been debunking these myths for some time now. Can you tell us what you have?
3: Okay. Well, on the issue of there being more black men in prison than in college, uh, no, that's not true. And I'm not the first one who's come out with a publication that challenged that myth. And, in fact, there's probably been about three publications before my most recent publication that broke down the numbers and showed that there are more black men in college than in prison. And even the original authors of the one report that showed that there were more black men in prison than in college, they will concede today that that's not true. Uh, They do stand behind original findings of 10 years ago, uh, which, you know, are questionable in and of themselves. But even they concede today that it's not true. Uh, So I think it's, I think the the bigger question here is not whether or not it's true, but why black people tend to want to hang on to the myth as staunchly as they do. Why they have ignored a lot of people like me um, over the last ten years, and have just wanted to just seem to 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 have something resonate with them when they say there are more black men in prison than in college. Um, But right now, uh, you know, the the exact numbers today are about 1.2 million black men in college, and about 800,000 black men in prison. Uh, The prison population among black males uh, has been declining over the last 10 years. It reached its peak in 1995. And around the late 90s, uh, the prison population among black males began to decline and it continues to decline to to this day uh, while the college population has increased. Uh, Now, one thing we need to understand is that with With our basic understanding of the nature of the problems not being accurate, we tend to put solutions out there that don't really serve our best interests. So I'll give you an example. Because we think that we are losing college black males to prison, a lot of times we institute these programs that are aimed at our Uh, so-called at-risk kids. And so we go into the schools with this mentality that you have one foot in college and one foot in prison. And so in order for us to increase the college population, we need to save you from prison. Uh, That's a a very ill-advised strategy because the reality is that a lot of the kids that we need to work with, that we want to go to college, we're not necessarily losing the vast majority of them to prison. We're losing them because they don't really understand the process of college. We're, le- we're losing them because we don't have a college-bound curriculum in their school. We're losing them because we don't have counselors and advisors that even understand the admissions criteria to the universities that are closest to their schools. We're losing them because we have these these stereotypes and stigmas of them that makes us believe that we need to send them to mail detectors and have dogs sniffing their lockers and so we're sending them to jail if they get caught with uh, experimental use quantities of marijuana, uh, which could be the same kids that could go to, to college. Uh they just need to deal with that bit of delinquency but not be not be put in the criminal justice system. So a lot of the strategies that we use to deal with this so called um prison versus college dichotomy uh is actually making the situation worse. Uh as far as the enrollment in college compared to uh, are black males and black, black females enrollment in college. Uh, yes, there are more black females in college than black males. Uh, there's also more, um, white females in college today than there are white males. Uh, the disparity is greater among, among black people though, and it is something that we need to address. Uh, the ratio though is, is 1.7 to 1. So there's 1.7 uh, black females in College right now uh, to every one black male. Um, that doesn't sound as provocative as something like fifteen to one, uh, but when you're talking about millions of people, it does show up on college campuses. There is a, a there is a, a difference that you can observe with your eye, and you know you you will notice that there's not as many black males in
1: college as they
3: as they need to be. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I, I think that um, the connection between college and the criminal justice system, and saving you know black boys from criminal a, a life of criminal activity, and and um, you know making the jump immediately to college, is a very good point. And I think um,
0: you know having
1: to backtrack and think very very carefully about what strategies need to to be incorporated to make sure that we're supporting all children um in a way that is suited to their needs is difficult to do but um is certainly not unheard of and I think one of those things that needs to be talked about is student discipline and, and you touched on it, you know, um the way that we're criminalizing children um right. at the K twelve level um and particularly black students is uh, troubling, and as part of this mindset that you're either a criminal or you will be a college student and there's no in-between. Uh, will you oh. talk about how educators can really make sure that they're recreating the narrative around behavior and perceived misbehavior in schools for black children?
3: Right. Yeah, that's a very good question. And, you know, right, starting the, around the 1990s, uh, we began to develop this a prototype of what we thought was an effective school leader for Black kids. Uh, we looked we looked to uh, archetypal figures in society like uh, Joe Clark from Luna and me, uh, and you know Michelle Pfeiffer in *Dangerous Minds*. And so we developed this Hollywood caricature of Black students that we all bought into, and we, be, we began to think that black students needed something different than white students, you know, whereas white students may need academic enrichment, black students need discipline. And so if we could have a principal that can go through the school with a bat and shake these kids in line, and if we had detectors and we had, uh you know, tough talk uh, that that's what black students needed to achieve. Uh, now the reality is, What a black student needs to achieve is not much different than what a white student needs to achieve. I would say if there's a distinction, it would be some type of affirmation of their culture and a way to make them understand that a lot of times their history and their legacy is omitted from standard textbooks, and so that needs to be supplemented. Uh, But as far as any type of connection between a kid going through a metal detector and their success. Uh, that uh, seems to exist in the literature. So what we need to understand right now is that you know, in this age of, um, you know, overall declining violence, now I know we have some pockets like Chicago uh, where uh, there's a, a recent spike in the violence. Uh, but nationally, as I can say, that's true of my own city of, of um, Washington, D.C., uh, nationally, crime is decreasing, and so we need to think about, you know, how do we deal with kids on another level, and how do we truly attend to the things that are going to make them successful. And so, we need to understand that certain uh, a certain level of misconduct is a natural part of their developmental process. Uh, we need to understand that it's unfair for. The kids in certain districts to have a fight and end up in a mediation room shaking hands with the person that they had a fight with if you live in one zip code, whether in another zip code those kids are being sent to prison. That's unfair. That's a civil rights issue. And so we need to deal with things like that. And we, we need to deal with things like one zip code, the public schools offer calculus and physics which are required for the most competitive state universities, public universities, but schools in another zip code also using public money, our money, are omitting these key courses. That's a civil rights issue. And so, so if we, if we deal with the problems that do exist, because we do have problems, you know, myth busting is not a function or is not an exercise of gaslighting. Any type of situation, but it does help us to see where the true problems exist, where the true civil rights issues exist, and and the the urgency to fight uh, for some of these causes. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think another area that has been um, certainly on um, the civil rights radar is um special education and um you know ivory you recently wrote a piece about the myths related to black children mental health and disability and you debunk the myth that a student with a disability is also mentally ill and i think it's a very important point that mental illness is a legal definition that indicates that a person has acted criminally because of their mental state and a student with a disability is not automatically mentally ill so I know that one of the things that schools struggle with is placement of black children in special education. Um, do you think this perception of mental illness is a cause for over-identification of black students as in need of special special education services?
3: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the whole idea of special education services and the potential of kids who may have some type of learning or emotional behavioral disability uh, certainly needs to be revamped. Uh, Right now, I think the problems that the schools are having is that they're relying on the parents uh, to uh, be the biggest uh, advocate and have the biggest base of knowledge about the nature of their child's disability. And I encourage every parent to... To, to really understand their child because parents with the most agency, they're the ones that will uh, make sure their kids are mainstreamed and make sure that uh, their kids are being uh, given special uh, testing accommodations, that their kids are being placed in the front of the classroom, uh, that they're giving uh, daily ratings from the teachers, uh, their kids are given leadership positions because they have this problem with their attention span and they need to be, uh, they, they need to have heightened stimulation. Uh, so we have we have parents with agency that that do that, but we also have pa- parents uh, that don't really understand all these nuances. I personally don't believe that uh, every parent should have to absolutely know everything about disability in order for their child not to be discriminated against. And but right now, a lot of children. Who don't have parents that have a full understanding of their child's rights uh, are being uh, segregated to these environments, and they're also being pushed out of school. Uh, and a lot of these problems are, are interconnected because I think uh, some of these testing demands uh, that, that that schools have are are encouraging them to try to push out some of the kids that they don't that, that they don't think will perform that well on the test and thus drive down uh, their test scores uh, which could jeopardize uh, the funding that they get that's one of the uh, the um unintended consequences of of um no child left behind i'm not sure what they intended but it's a bad consequence of no child left behind and so so then we need to to get to some smart policies and we need to understand uh, that uh all students regardless of their disability. Uh the that we can spur their success.
1: Alexis, what do you think about the, the parent perspective? What are your what questions do you have for, for Ivory? Well, you know, Ivory, I'm I'm glad that
2: you went right into uh the role of the parent. And I know from the N C E B C perspective, Diana, that parents are major stakeholders in not only their own children's education, but how it impacts the community overall. So, I'm wondering, I if you can give us just one really strong action item for parents who are listening to this conversation and have the understanding of the big picture, but are still questioning, "What do I do today? What would that action item be?"
3: Okay, I, I just I just released a, a, a article. Uh, that's going to be published within a couple of months uh, that looks at at, um, uh, the parents' role in education. Uh, But there there are three things that have been demonstrated uh, that parents can do in order to have a child that has better experiences in school. Uh, The first is their presence at the school. Uh, So the research that I did analyzing the data of about 15,000 parents uh, that reported to a survey for the Department of Education. It shows that parents who had higher achieving children visited the school at least eight times throughout the academic year. And this isn't just to pick their kid up. Uh, this, this is a, a, a meeting with a teacher, uh, attendance at a play or a sporting event or volunteering at the school. So eight times, about once a month. Uh, throughout the academic year, uh, you should have a presence at the school. Uh, Also, parents who have high-achieving children uh, prepare their children at home, so they make sure that uh, their kids uh, uh, are adequately prepared as far as their homework, uh, uh, doing their their schoolwork, and and, um, giving them any kind of resources they need uh, if they don't understand the material that well. And uh, the final thing is what's called academic socialization. And actually academic socialization in the research shows to be the most important thing that parents can do for their kids. And that's helping kids to understand the goals of education and helping them uh, to understand uh, proper etiquette at school, how to uh, talk to their teachers if they don't understand the schoolwork, the importance of getting to school on time, uh, the importance of making sure that their work is neat. Uh, Actually academic socialization uh, has a stronger correlation with the child's academic success than helping with homework and mm. so, so that, that seems to, to encompass uh, the, the child's entire experience of school and help them to manage a lot of uh, the, the social nuances of education. Perfect, thank you.
2: So Diana, we are coming down on uh, the last five minutes of our, our show today but and talking about the coalition of the willing um, within NCEBC I know that NCEBC has grown a strong social media network, and I understand that there is a, a, a meet-and-greet call this evening um, related to NCEBC and uh, social media being used as a platform for uh, wide-ranging uh, community outreach. Can you share a
0: little bit about that with us, please? Certainly, certainly. Over the last uh, year, our social um media outreach has uh, increased. And as we grow, we are just so happy to welcome each new member as a representative of the Coalition of the Willing. The Coalition of the Willing is people who answer the call to action, who believe that our children can do better, who want them to do better, and are willing to work in a collective manner with other organizations, churches, parents to build that plan to help each child reach their maximum. And that call to action is being offered again this evening at 8 o'clock p.m., uh, and that is on – I don't have the call letters right here. I don't know if you have them or not, Alexis. But it's it's to help us to uh, recapture that call to action to recapture that coalition and to build those networks across this country that they're operating in various various levels and across each of our states um, if we, we actually will... do have
2: the call letters um, NCEBC is on Facebook at facebook.com front slash NCEBC and I believe there's registration information on uh, Facebook right now for tonight's call
0: Great, great. Uh, Thank you. I think that much of what Ivory talked about fits into our call to action around the needs of black males. And I was so pleased to hear him talk about those three themes the presence of the parents at school, to prepare the children at home, and the academic uh, socialization. And NCEBC has tried to carry that out through our uh, Mission Ready. Uh, centers that are operating in 25 states across this country where parents, where students can go after school and can receive help in reading and in math at various churches. Um, that is something that we would like to see uh, expanded. So hopefully this Coalition of the Willing and this call to action tonight at 8 on our Facebook Will help us to expand our goals and help us to get more people uh, involved in our mission work, along with our blueprint for action here.
1: Dr. Ivory Tolson is an associate professor of education at Howard University and a board member for the National Council on Educating Black Children. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Diana Daniels is the executive director of the National Council on Educating Black Children. You can find her on Facebook as well. You can find NCEBC. On Facebook, as Alexis mentioned, thank you both so much for joining us.
0: Thank I also you. want to thank
1: my wonderful guest, Alexis Smith. Thank you, Alexis, for joining us today.
2: My pleasure, as always.
1: You are now officially certified know-it-alls on seeking out um, the debunking the myths surrounding Black children and Black boys in particular. Go forth and share. Have a wonderful week. Join us next Tuesday, January 15th, when we will talk with Hector Montenegro of the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, CASEL, about social emotional learning in schools. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education, on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook. And read my blog at alisonbrownconsulting.com. Thank you for joining us. All right. <tries>